passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way take the mic. Hello, welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock and Waiting. How are you? Terrible. Oh. I'm not doing great either. How am I supposed to feel? I just saw a grown woman. Lose her mind on national TV. We don't know her whereabouts. Um, I hope she's doing all right. I mean, you've been... It's been led up to by by years of an older man losing his mind off of television. And thus, it is cast upon all of us. So, mm. uh, there's that. There's that to discuss. I had a first tonight because midway through Raw... Um, my body just turned on me. I have just been attacked by allergies. I think I am literally allergic to raw. Damn. Wow. Just in the middle of the show, eh? Right in the middle of this show. I could barely keep there, going. Was there a specific match? No way. It was the totality of this entire experiment called the show that we do every week. Just compounding itself and i'm now my body is physically rejecting this show on monday nights i'm really sorry to hear that i mean um maybe you should see a doctor about this i i would love to see a medical professional and ask them if this is healthy to be doing this on monday night for three hours they might suggest no they might say you know what legitimately probably not good like for our physical well-being to to be Watching three hours of this and then sitting down talking about it for another two. Maybe there are some secret raw antibodies out there. Or vaccine, hopefully. Well, how 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 are you otherwise? Fine. You know what? I, I, I just right. talked to you earlier today, so I imagine you've been fine. Yes, of course. Yeah, I mean, not much time has happened between now and earlier this afternoon when you and I recorded a bonus post show for all of our Post Wrestling Cafe patrons for New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion show featuring a very big 
event. New champion. New IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Only the third in history, John, was crowned today. Yes, the spiritual successor to Lily, Shingo Takagi. Two people that occupy the same industry. Uh, Shingo Takagi, the new IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, crowned at today's Dominion card. So Wei and I have about a 45-minute show going through all of the news and matches from Dominion. So you can check that out if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. Uh, it's still relatively early in the month, so a great time to join the Post Wrestling Cafe for uh, our bonus shows, for our live shows. It's a great time to be part of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And that extends all week, Mr. Ting, because we're going to be back later this week. We're going to have the Ask Away Mailbag Show. It is the much-hyped return of MCU Later, as Wei Ting and WH Park are going to be spending uh, multiple weeks talking about uh, the man himself, Senshi. Oh, yes. Loki, that is correct. Yeah, we are... Pivoting to uh, discussing um, <laughs> not the the wrestler. We'll try to fit in some low-key discussion in there, I'm sure. But we're also... Are, are you aware if they had done that NXT season <laughs> this year, okay? If they were still doing it now, you realize it would have been low-key that would be feuding with Lily now. He would 100% be the male equivalent of oh, Shayna oh. Baszler in that role as Cabal... No, it would it would be Lily stepping on Loki's head to close Raw. <laughs> like oh, it would be. They would make, said, "What you doing?" I don't I know. Think they, would, <laughs> they would make like a giant CGI Lily, like, and they would shoot it in front of a green screen to step on a tiny Caval <laughs> Loki's head. That'd be amazing, actually. But uh, we're not here to talk no. about that on, on MCU later. I've officially uh, confused everyone to what you're doing on Thursday. No. Uh, WH and I will be talking about the latest MCU series on Disney+. Plus. It's been a while since uh, I've had a chance to speak one-on-one with WH. So I look forward to catching up uh, with him and maybe catching up a bit on all the MCU news that's been happening over the past few weeks. So that'll be uh, released on Thursday. Brand new time. Thursday. For all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's a special on Thursday at the cafe with Ask Away and MCU Later. We're also going to have a new British wrestling experience out with Martin and Benno. Uh, this weekend, we've got coverage of UFC 263, and I'm going to do a preview show on Friday with Phil and Eric Marcotte, and then that will tee up our post show Saturday Night Live right after UFC 263. Friday night, we've got Rewind to Dine Down with Way and Kate from Montreal. They'll be going live after the now third week in a row of our Friday night doubleheader. And then Sunday, it is going to be Braden and Davey with the TakeOver In Your House post show and a big announcement way, a new show coming to the world of post wrestling. Everybody, I am so incredibly happy to announce that starting this Sunday on the Post Wrestling Network, every month will be the newbie and wrestling advocates making their debut here. Many of you guys who listened to our Post Wrestling Cafe podcast day last month will uh, have heard uh, Nate Milton along with Chris from L.A. And uh, on that particular episode, they were joined by uh, uh, Marcus Vanderberg and also Andrew Thompson. But it'll be a rotating panel of guests, I believe, with the constants being Nate, 
And I don't know if he'll be Moderna Chris um, every single week, but uh, Chris from L.A. nonetheless, talking about various issues um, concerning, um, you know, uh, the Nubian Wrestling Advocates. So I'm really happy to get their show on. Unfortunately, this does mean that we are going to be putting the rest of the Rocky Maya Via Picture Show, show se- series temporarily on the shelf. I think occasionally Nate might bring that back uh, for to complete the series at some point because Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson will never stop making movies. But uh, nonetheless, this time slot on Sunday will be occupied monthly for the Nubian Wrestling Advocates. Yes, they certainly had... Um... They they might have stolen the show at post podcast day. I mean, they came out and it was a it was a roaring success. So we have been in deep negotiations uh, with Nate Milton. He has driven a very very hard bargain. Our lawyers have been going back and forth. We finally were able to hatch out a deal, and here we go. You know, yeah, it was a contract signing, the likes of which you might have seen tonight. It was very similar, actually. Yeah, it was very bizarre when he <laughs> sliced the table in half afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Started talking about webs, like kings and making webs and shit. Yeah, it was weird. The whole schedule is up at postwrestling.com. So uh, lots of great stuff coming up this week. And again, you can check out the Dominion Post Show. That is up now for all Cafe members. Let's move on. Uh, we're not going to chat about too much news because I do want to talk a bit about the... Um... Oh, well, first of all, did you see the Bret Hart A&E special? Did yes, yes. I okay, did. we'll get to that. Did you see Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Logan Paul on Sunday? Yes, I did. Oh boy, I did watch it. You sat through. At what round were you shaking your head? Oh, I don't know if it was more of a. It wasn't so much of a shaking of the head as as much as like a just kind of a more of an apathetic glare, you know, at at just. I don't even know what I was expecting, to be honest. Like, I've seen these sort of Floyd stunt fights, and they're... I don't even know if you even call them fights as much as, like... I don't know. Practice? Like, I don't, what would you call it? I mean, making money is, is what... An like, expensive it's, it's, exhibition. It's, it's I mean, him counting counting all the zeros in his head is, is what it is. It's making a ton of money, and it is a whole night of oxygen inserted into the Logan Paul experiment that will now grow into a larger organism that is going to continue in this space along with his brother. Sure, I suppose so. You're right. Yeah, it's a fire that just, you know, doesn't seem to stop this these this Paul Brothers thing. Um what did you did you watch the fight? I didn't watch the fight. Oh, okay. No. Well, yeah, I know I, I mean it wasn't much to speak of. Um I, I I think most were all in agreement. Like it was a pretty, it it was a dull. Like what was sold yeah. was this is just going to be a spectacle, and I don't think it really delivered on that front. But it is at the same time, I think for Logan Paul, it's great for him. He lasts eight rounds. He comes out of this with the ability to like for this character, he can now brag forever that he lasted eight rounds with Floyd Mayweather. However serious you want to take that, um, and it's only going to continue to help help him flourish. So I think for the Paul brothers, it's great. I, I really feel like I just saw an execution, like eight rounds of a business deal of a business agreement to take place. You know, that, that allows both men to just walk out laughing at everybody who decided to actually pay for this thing. Um, I, I didn't feel like what we saw was in any way sport. 
uh, it was, I don't even know if it's spectacle. I don't even think it is. So did you, it did was you come to that conclusion before or after they put up the graphic, uh, highlighting Floyd Mayweather's past exhibitions, including the big show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that at that point, it was par for the course. Like, it would, the commentators, Morrow was among them. I, they were all, like, pretty much, like, laughing throughout the whole thing. And I, I think they all understood what, like, what this was. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's more, like, it's on Showtime now. So, I mean, they have clearly, I mean, this is ultimately not going to be judged by what people's takeaway last night was, it's going to be judged based upon what the final number is for this pay-per-view. And I guess further to that point, it's it, you'll still get, if it's a great number, if it's huge, you're going to have the discussion that, well, it was so awful, no one's going to buy the uh, another fight. And I'm not going to be going out on that limb to say that no one's going to buy another Logan Paul fight, which there will be another one. Uh, and if it's a really dismal number, or disappointing one, I mean, then you can say, I think, there would be a lot more people that were in my camp that I'm open-minded to this stuff. Like anything, like I understand what the industry is, but this one for me, it did not, it didn't grab like my morbid curiosity to even see it. Like the thriller event from a few months back that I knew what that was going in. And I had a genuine curiosity to watch it and see this spectacle. And this one, this one did not have that for me, but I don't know if I'm in the minority or if there were a lot, like I, among a lot of boxing people, it seemed to be like this was like you always have in these spectacles the well, that one percent chance of Logan Paul landing something. There wasn't even that in this. Uh, but I guess the, the, your hope was or your estimate was, I don't think this guy's even going to last. There was nothing competitive about this. And in the, given the bar was so low, that's what Logan Paul kind of set to. And he achieves that by just lasting eight rounds with this guy. And there's going to be demand to see him again because of the character he plays and that the Paul brothers are able to spark that that emotion in people that has worked thus far. And we'll see if it continues here. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, we're we're, we're giving way too much oxygen to this. <laughs> Let us fire. move on then uh, to a few other notes. So on Monday, it was confirmed. A sad final update. In addition to our ongoing technical issues, we've lost access to the ratings we'd been able to provide on showbuzzdaily.com. Therefore, we're sorry to say that the site is officially done. That from the pair of Mitches at Showbuzz Daily, ending the site, a tombstone placed on top of showbuzzdaily.com. And that's the end. And it's, it is very interesting to look at this that, you know, initially their explanation was limited to technical issues and now adding to the fact that they had lost the access to the, the ratings, the, the blood of this website. And I mean, that seems odd that it would be both of those things happening together. Um, and I think as soon as they didn't immediately start a new site, I think that told you like the technical issues, they can only go so far. This is not some giant site. It's just, it's data. Oh, and once that data, those cut off. Just like, they're just like, fuck this. This is way too much work. I'm not even applying to GeoCities to restart this thing. Like, I don't. They don't care anymore, and I don't blame them. If well, this explanation though, it makes more sense that okay, we've lost the access to all of our data as opposed to just well, the site's down. So, I mean that that seems like, and, and 
believe me, we're still going to get all the all the wrestling and and such. Like all those numbers are still going to come out, but what is going to be tough is getting a whole landscape of the television industry on any given night and seeing like all the different other programming and being able to compare and contrast on a nightly basis. Uh, that's what that site was so You're great just going to have to was... start watching every single show that's on TV during a wrestling show. Uh, watching every single one? Yeah, that's what you're going to have to start doing. Well, that's not going to give me any, any kind of sense of how well a show does by just watching. You can but... sense the quality of show. Oh, this NBA game is not that, that good. Oh, maybe. Well, wait, you know what? Tonight's, tonight's show is pretty brutal, and I bet you it's going to be the number one show on cable. So I don't know if that's exactly a, uh, an apt comparison. But um, we will see if, you know, if there are, you know, any other outlets that end up filling this void. Like we've seen, you know, some sites that have popped up with more information and such. But, you know, nonetheless, I think we're still going to get all the ratings information, but it's not going to be that one-stop shop that... Showbuzz Daily had provided going back to 2014 or so. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm really sorry for all the you know stats nerds out there. Um, it's been a bad the, the year. The day after Showbuzz Daily makes its AEW debut. Oh, terrible! Done. You know, done the next like, day. Yeah, I mean, you know, these Wednesday night wars end, and then all of a sudden, like the the stream of and flow of information gets cut off. So, um, for for all the all the number crunchers that are out there, I, I hope another source comes up soon. Yeah, and it it would be very interesting, like, you know, keeping it specific to our industry of, you know, in internally in WWE, I would assume that there would be people that would be ecstatic that this stuff is not as readily available to people. I would be curious, though, what the uh, mindset would be of, say, the AEW executive team that they're very much still new to the dance. And I think that for them, like they are a growth company that I think this is great to have all of this information out there. And again, the, this information is still going to get out there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's one less thing. And there's a lot of significant people that would follow along a website like this. Like it's not just wrestling sites that would rely on this information. There were others as well. Well, can't they publicize it themselves? Oh, they, they could. I mean, it's just, it's not something that they do. They don't put out their own ratings information. Um, they should feed it, it to, to people like you, you know? They should just. Well, it's like, more hey. so, like, forget the, re like, again, it, every single week, The Torch, The Observer, like, all these sites, they're all going to have this wrestling information. It's more so people that are not following that kind of stuff outside of the industry or such. Showbuzz Daily was an instant, you know, go-to for people to be able to see this stuff. It's just, you know, it's just, it was a place that it really branded itself as like the go-to place for, for people alike. Yeah. There you go. I know. It's like, it's like losing a physical place, you know, it's like a, this, this, this hangout, this, this like bar we all used to go to has suddenly on a Thursday, we'd all just like gather here at three o'clock you know, for drinks, and now it's a condo is being put over top of it, and there's no no uh, sense of reopening anywhere. So, yeah, uh, yeah, pour one out, everybody, for show buzz. Uh, I'm picturing like this bar that like all the seating are cheers, co color everybody. coordinated, and you know you can go. You're uh, 25 to 54. You can go sit there. Yeah, you got to wear this red shirt because you're down from last week. The the really the Wednesday night cable ratings that was our table. You know, uh, speaking. Of ratings. Going back to Friday night, we have 
Uh, SmackDown doing 1,883,000 viewers, 0.5 in the demo. So they were down just over 2% in viewers, even in the 18 to 49 number. Dynamite, uh, I guess the more interesting one, uh, this was their second week on Friday night, uh, was down 7% in viewers and down 5% in the demo. 492,000 viewers, 0.19. This coming off of the pay-per-view, I was a little surprised that it was down um, week week over week uh, because I thought that Friday show would have had just more interest uh, because of coming off the pay-per-view. You had it in people's head that you are going to get more of a traditional fan experience, uh, which we weren't really sure of going into the prior week. Uh, But nonetheless, not a giant drop, but still down nonetheless. So, I mean, two weeks so far, it's like it's it's a tough time slot for AEW, which is going to be a bigger issue this summer. It's it's got to be an indication of the Friday night, um, you know. The the people just wanted to get out and like take advantage and make up for lost time, not having a social life all this time. So it'll probably you know if if that is the effect, it'll probably last well into the summer and maybe even beyond. So interesting because um, I got the numbers in Canada that SmackDown did just over a hundred nine thousand viewers, Dynamite did. 94,800. But what was interesting is that Dynamite, here in Canada, the main demo is 25 to 54, and Dynamite had the higher number in the demo, even though they were lower in viewers. They had, uh, you know, it was about uh, a 13, uh, 14,000 viewer difference in Dynamite's favor. So that was kind of interesting to see. So there you go. Those are ratings, everyone. Yeah, still you'll still get well. that information here from John. Well, there you go. Uh, I wanted to spend some time here chatting about the Bret Hart A&E biography because we both had a chance to see it. This concludes A&E's series, their WWE series, and uh, tackling, you know, a a subject in Bret Hart that there has been no shortage of documentaries uh, produced on. And this one was directed and edited uh, by George Roy, who is the director who also did the Booker T one. And I thought that, first of all, I thought they chose a lot of strong people to be interviewed for this, some of which I was surprised by. But, you know, certainly the fact when I saw that uh, you had Heath McCoy, who did the, the Pain and Passion book that he was in, that, that we interviewed when we did our documentary, uh, he was in this. You had various family members. Uh, you had Dave Meltzer in here. Um, I was, you know, somewhat surprised to see some of the people that they interviewed, just such as Diana, for instance, who... I mean, her and Brett have had significant, um, you know, fights over the years, um, very nasty stuff publicly. Um, but that was also something in the documentary that they, they did not really go into any of the family drama, which there has been no shortage of. There have been books written on. Uh, they stayed away from all of that. And it kind of just concludes with Brett Hart, who is like taking his life out of wrestling and seems to be like very happy at, at this stage of his life now. That was the presentation, you know, and, you know, going into all of these A&E documentaries, for most of them, I, I really went into them with very little anticipation because, um, you know, in the case of like somebody as big of a star as Brett, so much has already been said about him that I don't know how much more new there is to say. But in almost every case, I sit down and watch them and I'm actually quite surprised at how much mm, maybe I appreciate having an updated look 
at many of the topics that we already know about. And in Brett's case, you know, having a maybe sort of a, uh, you know, more of a digested and like, you know, um, clear look at um, some of the later happenings in his career, even like post comeback, you know, to see what he is like right now. And the image presented at the end of this documentary is one of a man who finally seems to have been able to like move on, you know, and, and has been able to find more to life beyond just Montreal or even caring about his own legacy. And maybe that's not the case in real life, you know, but the way it was presented felt like here's a guy who has achieved maybe the greatest thing you can achieve beyond, you know, being a su successful wrestler. Like he, he's surrounded with grandchildren and children and like a beautiful wife, you know, like that to me was like a wonderful, like, moment to see my childhood hero kind of like right off in the sunset with you know a picturesque ending yeah i mean it it, it was going to be interesting to watch you, know, you knew this one would would tackle montreal and it certainly did i would say it was maybe the most you know sizable portion that they dedicated to they did pace this pretty well like there's so much even in a two-hour format there's so much that you can cover with Bret Hart, but I thought they did a pretty good job with the pacing of it and trying to hit on the key parts. Like there's always going to be stuff that that's left out because that's impossible to do yeah. in two hours with commercials. Um, but with Montreal, I mean, if there has been one consistent throughout this and this should come as no surprise, but it's just, it's so obvious in all of these is that the WWE is not going to come under scrutiny for all of this like in times when they were where you could challenge them or look at things from that perspective i think you're you're just not going to get that kind of reflection and when you have a, a vince mcmahon that is still maintaining the the fact that this guy could have shown up the night after the survivor series it's it's almost at this point where it's that's there are people that are just going to accept that as fact despite all the all the facts that are out there and that you do have the people on here that can very much outline everything beat by beat, including, including Brett, including a Meltzer, including a Heath McCoy, including a Ross Hart that that's in there as well. Uh, I was curious to hear like, Vince's... so why, why couldn't he have shown up the next night for Brett? So for, for those that are not familiar with, with like the specifics of it is that Brett's contract, Brett was still, under contract with the WWF and he was going to be for several more weeks after after agreeing to the deal with WCW and to the point that Bischoff had even extended the because uh, originally Brett was still going to work that December pay-per-view which would have been December the 7th and Bischoff extended it so he could have stayed till December the 7th this was not a case of Brett was like like Jeff Jarrett at that No Mercy pay-per-view where it was, this is your last night in the company. We have to get the IC title off of you because you could show up on Nitro the next night. Jarrett could do that because he was legitimately done with his contract and was free to go the next day. His contract had expired. With Brett, he was still under contract with the company. And even on top of that, you had, you know, the precedent of like, the, the legal issues that WCW and WWE had had. Like there was no way WCW was going to put that championship on their air. And for the other paranoia of, well, Bischoff could go on Nitro tomorrow night and announce that we have the WWF champion. The fact is, Brett was committed to WCW. 
the window to shut that deal was November the 1st. So that's at that point, the deal's done. And November 3rd comes and goes. Bischoff had that opportunity that night to go out on Nitro right before the Survivor Series. He could have really fucked WWF and said, we've got your champion. Nothing of the sort happened. And even after Montreal, Brett doesn't appear on Nitro until well into December because he contractually couldn't. And that's even after, like, the contract realistically was broken. When when they did this, the screw job, like, that was a breach of contract given what the language was in the deal. So, I mean, it's it's something that I think a lot of people will just take that at face value. The facts just don't add up to that being any kind of a possibility that Brett could have shown up the next night, and he didn't. And the fact was that had Bischoff wanted to go out there and proclaim, we've got your champion, he had that opportunity and did not do it. Uh, and it, everyone was under, of the understanding. Brett was going to finish up with the company for several more weeks after Montreal. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess I don't know if this particular documentary would have been the place to like get into the weeds of stuff like that. Um, but, you know, as far as like what Vince thinks at this point, I I also wonder how much of, of an answer he really gave for so much of it. You know, it felt like the Vince interview was to cover every single one of these things that he appeared on. And I would assume for the Montreal answer, I mean, that just seems to be his line, you know, that he just gives. Yeah, I mean... You you also have just, you know, they really do focus on the relationship between Brett and Vince in this. And you have that line from Brett that I would have jumped in front of a train for Vince McMahon. And this is when they're going over like the 96 period when he gets the offer from WCW. And it's for significantly more than what WWF can offer. But what WWF can offer is the a 20 year contract that will will. We'll sign you for 20 years. And Brett was happy with that. He was going to take so much less money. Um, and again, like when, when you just look at it, I just think the way the facts present themselves, it's like, here's a guy that gave up so much more money to stay with, with WWF. And it just seems, uh, you know, God, essentially, you know, you, I think once you see so much of this, you can understand why Brett, I think, took this very very hard. It was more than just simply um, like a business deal gone wrong. It was really just such a a betrayal uh, for someone that, you know, he held in high esteem. And you could argue that Vince McMahon is not someone you probably should have held in that that kind of father figure role. Like at the end of the day, this is Vince McMahon, who 10 years earlier when he had bought Stampede Wrestling, I mean, he reneged on that deal with Stu Hart. So, I mean, there was kind of a precedent here that, I mean, he had a very close relationship with Vince McMahon and maybe maybe had his blinders on to a degree to think that, you know, he would be above such a uh, an act uh, that Vince McMahon would commit upon him. I definitely think if you watch any of the documentaries that have covered the topic, you know, it's I, I would say maybe I'm biased because, I mean, I grew up a Brett fan, but I would assume most people watching these things are Brett fans and they're going to side with the protagonist. In most cases, I, I do think, you know, you'll have a lot of people actually who do side with Vince and can understand Vince's perspective. Um, but ultimately, I think the role of a documentary is to try to lay out the facts and let the audience choose for themselves. And I think in the given amount of time, this documentary covered Montreal like pretty fair. You know, I think they 
gave us all the updated information regarding it, including like the whole setup prior to it. The the nugget of information that we received, I think, uh, not too long ago with what is it, Sean telling Brett that he would drop, he would he wouldn't do the same for him, that type of thing. That was mentioned again here in something like this. Uh, the creative control was was added in there, and Brett, you know, this part was where he said the home country thing. He almost saved it as sort of like a last part, you know, like a part that wasn't as important as the rest. But Brett was saying, like, on top of it, on top of it all, you wanting me to do it in Montreal, I wasn't going to do. Like he was almost saving that as like a bit of a bonus. Um, but you know, we got clips from Wrestling with Shadows. Like again, the way I judge these isn't necessarily by whether or not um, you know, I found it novel or I learned anything, but more so. How would a brand new fan who doesn't know a whole lot about Bret Hart, who just watched Shayna Baszler and Lily and somehow has to dive into this level of seriousness attached to this industry? I I was maybe more so thinking your typical A&E fan. And I don't even know what they are on A&E. But, you know, if they had some idea of who Bret was but didn't know the the, the story, um, I thought that it did a relatively good job of laying out a pretty complex situation, you know, for a novice fan. I would certainly say like with like the full rundown of like Montreal, I think it is best served for a newsletter or a book where you can really go through. It doesn't really lend itself to uh, something like this. I mean, like you could see where certain interview subjects um, you could imagine could probably speak at length about this and are going to get edited down and quickly. And it's what is the most Mm. succinct way to tell uh, a complex story. And sometimes you're going to, get certain aspects that are just not going to make it in. They're not going to dedicate that amount of time to an interview subject. And I imagine like the producers of this were already probably combating the criticism of expectation that, you know, this would focus too much on Montreal. When I think so much of Brett's battle is that his life and his career is a lot more than just that particular incident. So, you know, of course you have to focus on it. It is arguably the most interesting. Unfortunately, it is arguably the most interesting thing about this man's career because it transcends professional wrestling it becomes a real life story that is just uh captivating to anybody whether or not you're a wrestling fan uh so you do have to use it you have to talk about it and they kind of express it as sort of like you know like the way it has been uh presented to the public that it is like sort of the beginning of his downfall leading to a succession of just terrible life occurrences um, until he makes up with the company again. But, I, you know, maybe even going backwards a little bit, I thought it did a really good job of, um, you know, recapping his rise. There was a lot of, as far as, like, new stuff, I, I, I thought it was pretty neat to see, like, a lot of that old footage of him in Stampede. That home, uh, well, the Stampede footage, Brett owns that, uh, his own matches. So that's that's why, you know, it was it was taken off the network and it was like Brett owns his own matches. But the home video footage they had, like of uh, Stu and Helen in the office, I, I don't know where, what the source material, like I imagine it was just home video stuff. I don't think it's ever aired anywhere, but that stuff was really a great find on their part. Yeah, and even like the young photos of like Stu and Helen and um, seeing those two, like when they're young and incredibly attractive uh, when all I've ever thought of them were like two old senior citizens was quite amazing. Um, and, you know, we also had like <laughs> Bret Hart's old short film that he made. Oh, the lizards. Friends. The lizard was the great. Iguana. 
Like, that was awesome. This was like, you know, as far as new information goes, like that, like you get a very comprehensive, I, I would say, look at who this man was prior to him even entering the WWF. They also leaned into animation for certain scenes. Like you could see like a lot of work went went into this. I'd be curious, like the timeline of how far back production began um, on all of these documentaries, to, to be quite honest. But um, yeah, I, I really like that. Again, it's it would have been really interesting to see kind of the, like um you know so many of the family members that they did get in here um his ex-wife was was featured pretty prominently as well julie uh she was in this as well um i thought it was really nice to hear the like brett and julie the fact that you know you could see like these two still have a lot of admiration for one another and you know their you know divorces are never easy but it was you know i think both with the absence of, of or at least the extended amount of time now since they've been divorced like i thought it was really nice that she could be in this and you know they were both like very complimentary of one another brett mentions the fact he was unfaithful and he is uh, brutally honest about that fact in his book um you know Mm -hmm. of what what life on the road was like for brett hart throughout a, a significant portion of his career as he's touring all over the world but they yeah, I, I thought they found like a lot of interest. I would have loved to have heard more of Ross because he is like the unofficial family historian. Um, and he just kind of pops up right near the end when they're talking about Owen. And I think some of the earlier parts, I mean, if you're talking about the history of Stampede, like Heath McCoy and Ross Hart, you've got your bases pretty covered there. But it was it was like a nice selection of, of people that they had throughout this. Sometimes, like, if two people give, like, you know, the same amount of information, it might just come down to, like, who sounds better on camera. Yeah. You know, so that 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 just might be that. It was really nice to be able to hear from the children because we haven't really had that in some of the other ones, you know, just to be able to hear uh, the perspective of, like, Jade, you know, talking about what it was like to have their father not be around. Um, I found Brett's comments about the sunny days, um, Shawn Michaels' comment, really interesting. Um, I don't recall him... Or at least I hadn't heard him speak about that on camera. But, you know, him talking about... I had never heard the portion that he had said about his kids asking him about that. And that's... Man, like, it's really hard to just... Like, Sean pretty much just says, ah, you know, I was... Like, he really had no basis for it either. We know Shawn Michaels was a total dick back then. Yes. Yeah, but it's like, I don't know. It's like... The, the guy gets, I think, excused for a lot of stuff because it's, oh, that was Sean. It's like, Sean yeah. was an asshole. And that was a really, really terrible thing to say on TV. And to have your kids ask you about that, that's pretty, pretty low. On top of, you know, the troubles that he was probably already having at home, as he was mentioning. So, um, you know, there were some like little bits of information that I found very refreshing, very new. Of course, you have to, you know, talk about all the big pivotal moments of his career they talk about the hennig match uh they talk about davy boy which i thought they made look really great like showing all the clips from the family acting helen helen is like such a great actress i don't care what any of you guys say she's she's my favorite of the heart how about that promo with with bruce with the bulldog shirt on and oh so good Uh, um but then we we didn't have bruce in this uh no no bruce here but you know the 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 Brett Owen feud they they spent a lot of time on, uh, and then of course you know the big double turn Survivor Series and then uh, or sorry at SummerSlam and then Survivor Series. So e- even the wrestling itself, I felt like it was like a relatively short mm, section, but nonetheless, I think pretty told you everything you needed to know in in a Cole's Notes version. Uh, no time spent at all on the WCW run. 
uh, correction, literally 30 seconds on WCW, 30 seconds. which was Dude. summarized by they were so stupid. They didn't know what to do. I spun my tires the whole time there. That is how the dude literally summarized like three years. We had more time spent on his lonesome dove run as Luther Root than in three years of WCW. That he called like the, what did he say? Like it was like the most fun thing I've ever done in my life. Lonesome dove. <laughs> you know, I, I could buy it. Sure. Yeah. The, I mean, the WCW time, like, I don't know how much, like, he's It's not really... relevant. It's not that relevant outside. Well, I, well, I, I think mean, it's relevant in the sense that I think, listen, did WCW blow things with Bret Hart? They absolutely did. I also think, like, Bret was, was very much, I think he realized that instantly. And you could see, like, Bret Hart was, it was just not is... the same Bret in 98 as there was no. in 97 in, in WWF. Like, this is going from the hottest guy in the company in the war, in the WWF at the time. And you're going to WCW, and I'm sure he was, you know, mentally checked out in WCW. Yeah, and, and I would say if you're going to recap anything outside of, like, you know, the, the concussion, of course, like, it would be maybe the steel plate incident with Goldberg. But then, of course, it's the Owen match, right? And who did he have the Owen match with? You know, you're not. Yeah, going that to. wasn't going to be shown here, which, yeah, that would those those were the high points of his, his WCW run would have been the, like those would be the two I, I would come to when he uh, yeah him and Benoit at, at Kemper Arena um you know and that's you know it really does put it into perspective like i think for wrestling fans it's like they focus on Montreal but it's like what this guy went through in the years that followed that from the loss of his brother uh Davy boy his his parents both dying the stroke cancer i mean it's and it's one thing after the other there's so many deaths Around. Did cancer even get get a mention in this? They they didn't even get around to that. Um, Amazing. I mean, wow. that was several years ago. It wasn't that recent, but not not too long ago either. Um, and it's just like it's remarkable that he is is where he is now. And you know, I think there's also something that he said that he, as they're reflecting on like the Montreal portion, it's like I I would not have changed anything I did to people that think I took it too seriously. To hell with them. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are, you know, this was a guy that had his convictions and that's, that's to many people, the, the strength of Bret Hart to some that mm -hmm. would say that, you know, he is not someone that is just going to play nice with people because he's in business with them or because this is a WWE co-produced documentary. I mean, you're yeah. going to get Bret Hart pretty much unfiltered. I would love to know, you know, I'm sure it was hours and hours and hours of interview time that they sat down with Brett. Multiple sessions, as you could see. Multiple tapes. Uh, um, and I'm sure that it's very hard to go through Montreal and not talk about Triple H's influence there on Sean in the lead up to that. It's very mm. significant. Um, he is spared. Bill Goldberg is not. And Bill Goldberg got the brunt of everything. And that's... Well, he did also say, like, as he was showing us his cartoons, he says, like, oh, Goldberg and Hogan, two of my favorites. And I don't know. He, I, I, I do believe we have a duality with, when it comes to, like, Brett's opinion on Goldberg. I think he I wouldn't even, like, disagree with if you told me that he and Goldberg were actually friends. But his opinion on him as a wrestler, he does not pull any punches. You know, what did he say on a scale of like zero? Like what? One to... <laughs> He's 100. a zero in terms of He's skill is what he said. I yeah. mean, I, uh, Brett has never had positive things to say about Goldberg and it's, and, and I know that 
Goldberg is, I mean, he has been very public about how awful he feels about that. And it's, you know, you look at it like that, that was the end of his career. I mean, realistically, like, yes, he had the the comeback, but that was for all intents and purposes, the end. Uh, And worse was the fact he kept working after Starcade 2 for several more weeks that only made things worse. And then has the stroke in 2002. He goes through, they really only focus on Julie. He goes through two divorces in in that time because no time um, yeah and you know he talks about the fact he just wanted to be alone and noted the fact that it was a constant downer always being asked about montreal and i totally understand that from his perspective that i do not like brett is one of those people that i'm sure has envisioned like how the stories will be written when he's no longer around and i don't think he wants montreal to be the first or second paragraph of his story. Uh, I think he looks at that. I think he understands the enormity of that match, but I do not think he wants that to be the match people. And that event is what is first and foremost associated with him. And I completely yeah. get that. It's, you know, oh my it's, God, a guy who took so much pride in his work to have it all overshadowed by something that was done to him and that he had no control over, like arguably the most embarrassing moment of his career. Of course, it's a terrible thing. Um, and then it's it's just really the the comeback stuff in 2010, making up with Sean, the WrestleMania 26 match that he acknowledges was not my best match, but it was fun. And then meeting uh, Stephanie, uh, his his current wife, and it was a really nice closing scene because throughout the documentary we had heard we saw the sit down interview with Jade, but this was the first time we heard from the other kids. Um, and now he's a grandfather and they kind of had everybody just out there playing street hockey. So it was like a nice feel good end to the documentary. Yeah, it really did feel like it was um, uh, like a way for a fan to, you know, maybe see the, the like their childhood fa- favorite character off in a way that I thought was even better than WrestleMania, which, you know, just felt so artificial. And I mean, the match was bad. So getting this sort of update and not having Brett sort of be your cranky old, you know, person complaining about like Tom McGee being a terrible wrestler or something as like a lasting image is was really nice. I enjoyed overall this documentary. We didn't get the shot, though, of uh, Bruce standing on top of Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Oh, they cut that cowboy boots. Yeah. No, Vince didn't comment about that. Nope. But there you go. I, I think like this one, I think this and the Foley ones are the ones that are going to stand out the most. Uh at least for me, like I would put these at the top of the A&E biographies. And I, I thought for this one, you were, you were covered. There was a lot to cover in two hours. And I think they tried to do um, as best they could of kind of the key parts and a lot of it being, you know, life after wrestling too. And I think that's a part, I'm, I mean, we didn't even talk about it, but the, the, the stuff with Owen and, and his death is also addressed here. Again, you can look at that fact. It's very hard to go into the Owen story and not go into the facts of the case. And I mean, nothing about the lawsuit, nothing about the company suing Martha. Like, well, obviously, again, again, that's the Owen biography. Not the Brett biography. Ooh, Brett, Brett was involved in that. Brett was part of that lawsuit. I mean, but in a in a ninety minute Brett Hart documentary, I I don't know if they would have had time for all that. You can you can certainly make that argument, but again, it follows the theme that like that was not going to be part of this, regardless of time. If they had five extra minutes, they weren't going to be inserting stuff about. The well, lawsuit. they wouldn't do an Owen Hart A&E biography. 
Uh, they wouldn't, but I mean, that's, I mean, Brett was very much part of that. So, I mean, there was, you know, and the whole family fallout, I mean, that really goes to like just the incredible amount of like family drama that played out in public that Brett was all over. And though, like the kids, it was really, really contentious, um, all of that stuff. And it was playing out uh, in public. It was very sad to see in all of that, but they really just limited it to uh, his passing and then the scene with Brett at, at the cemetery uh, as well. So there you go. Any other closing thoughts on the Brett doc? No, not so much. I mean, I wasn't really high on this A&E series overall um, when it started. I thought the Austin one was was okay, was fine, but like felt a little superficial to me. And then you got to the Piper one, which I was not a fan of, and then the Savage one, which I was really not a fan of. Um, and then some of the other ones are somewhat forgettable, but I thought it ended pretty strong with the Foley and Brett one. So, um, And even the Sean one I thought was pretty good too. If they did another run of these, like with people that are in, ingrained with WWE... I mean, I could certainly see, like, a Jerry Lawler one. I could see a, I mean, I guess you could do a Triple H one. Um, you know, they, they've gone through a lot of these. Any, anybody. Well, I mean, it's, you know, who has, like, that kind of mass appeal as well, I think is what you're, you're Undertaker, but, you know, they're so, they're coming off of the last ride that, but, you know, again, this is for a different audience, right? So... Um, I don't know. Take your pick. Like maybe they'll do another Andre one. Maybe they'll do a, uh, mm, probably not a Hulk Hogan. No, Eddie I think Gar- if they were going to do Hogan, he would have been in this batch. I would think. Jared suggests Eddie Guerrero. That would be interesting. Yeah. Rock Andrew says, of course. So, Cena. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, we'll, we'll see if they they get another round of these if they're you know what is there the interest for them the numbers were like they were good for a and e standards so there you go everybody uh let's move on to raw we've put it off for long enough uh, this show we started it off with a tag team battle royal we had all the teams out there randy orton and riddle kofi kingston and xavier woods the viking raiders t-bar and mace and by himself, Lince Dorado, as they explain, Grand Metalik is injured. Yeah, well, good to know. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's too bad. Um, you know, this was a really important battle royal in his career. AJ and Omos came out, and they ran through all the teams. AJ's just addressing each team. We got Omos to talk. We're, we're all supposed to be amazed that this large man talks. The New Day is mocking them. Riddle then takes the mic. He's wearing two RK Bro shirts. So they've got a whole line of merchandise now. We've got hoodies. We've got t-shirts. So, folks, this is a long-term deal with these two. The Miz and Morrison interrupt. Miz is on a wheelchair. As they mentioned, he was tragically injured at Backlash. And Morrison is going to compete on behalf of the two. And then Miz goes down the ramp in slow motion for Morrison's entrance. Now, my question is, with Lince Dorado and John Morrison, what was going to happen here if either of these guys won? Their partners are injured. Uh, they would have to compete solo for the tag team titles, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. Or they would have to find a new opponent or a partner, I guess. Maybe each other. Well, it was not a problem that they had to address. Um, so we get RKOs off the off the top of the match to Kingston and Xavier Woods. Styles and Omos are on commentary. 
We're just flying through eliminations here. Riddle made the save for Orton uh, from T-Bar and Mace, who kind of got their shine here. Uh, we had Morrison using the, dr- the, what's it called? The drip stick that was shot at T-Bar and Mace. Uh, Riddle got hit with the high justice, though the announcers avoided making the obvious joke. The Viking Raiders fired up. They got to eliminate T-Bar and Mace. Woods is eliminated, but both partners have to be sent out. So Kingston was still alive. Um, Sorry, Woods eliminated Riddle and then Eric eliminated Woods. It comes down to Riddle returning to the ring and he acts as a shield for Randy Orton, taking the trouble in paradise, but protecting his partner. But then Orton sends Kofi out and the Viking Raiders come from behind to dump out Orton. So the Viking Raiders win in 10 minutes, 32 seconds. Yeah, I mean, just seemed like a bit of a by-the-numbers battle royal to set up your next set of challengers. That's it. This was the culmination of the big Viking Raiders push. So I, I thought, you know, from the night after WrestleMania when they returned on TV, all the vignettes that they did, and then they went on the winning streak. So this was totally a logical end to this big jump for the Viking Raiders since coming back. It's a two-month culmination tonight. Oh, it's been a beautiful story, really well told. You know, you really felt them. You really wanted them to achieve this, like, incredible goal of getting a tag team title match. I thought the documentary on the the comeback from the injury was really... It was riveting. I think at that point, you had to go with them. They spent the whole first hour airing it. Yeah, it was wonderful. It's beautiful. Pierce and DeVille are in the back uh, chatting about East Coast, West Coast. I guess they were talking about rap. And... Charlotte comes in. She wants the beat the clock outcome from last week to be stricken from her record. It's like Floyd Mayweather. He was smart enough to make sure it wouldn't be part of his record going in. They said, Charlotte says, you two are jealous. And she wants a rematch with Nikki Cross. Rhea Ripley appears. She respects Nikki Cross, but admits she didn't take her seriously. And I also want a rematch with Nikki Cross. So then DeVille suggests a tag match where Ripley and Flair will team up. Both of them were like, no, that's not what either of us was proposing. This makes no goddamn sense. Why are we teaming? Yeah, I mean, well, um, I'm sure some hilarity will ensue. when It would not. There would be no hilarity ensuing in the hour to come. Ted DiBiase is going to make an announcement on Tuesday for L.A. Grimes or... L.A. Grimes. That's what we can call the feud. L.A. Knight and Cameron Grimes. Viking Raiders are in the back chanting Raid. I imagine these guys, this is how they celebrate a victory. Raid. Raid. And they're about to go off celebrating by eating turkey legs when Omos and AJ appears and Omos is eating a turkey leg. Styles calls them wannabe Vikings. Eric says the way I live my life honors the Vikings that came before me. And this is our tag team title program. I think this was actually like their way of like grounding this Viking Raiders gimmick to make you believe that obviously these guys, what do you think? They're silly. What do you think? They're, they actually think they're Vikings. No, of course not. They're just people who live to pay homage to the way Vikings lived. You know, they are very noble, smart people that are just living their lives in a way to pay respects to to the Vikings. They're just um, cosplayers. More than that, like they they cook and clean like Vikings, I guess. Um, That's an obsession. 
cook. Uh, they uh, eat. Yeah, what do they, they eat? Do? Like Viking, I guess all the Vikings of. Uh... There's no traveling like Vikings. You know, they they don't they don't cross too many seas here. Um, everything aside from travel, they they do like Vikings. But the this the idea was that we've heard nothing from the Viking Raiders this entire time, other than raid, raid, raid. Then this was like their last ditch effort at the last second to give you some sort of character depth to to who these people are before they challenge for the titles next week. Elias is in the ring. He saw the ghost of war when he looked into Jackson Riker's eyes. And he knows he's a man that went to battle, but he wasn't a man that was going to go to battle for Elias. So he gets jumped from behind by Jackson Riker with his new haircut that I can best describe his new look is if you were to mix together Zack Ryder and Stifler. Somebody in the chat room said uh, Matt Cardona. Um, man, I got far more interest in, in Matt Cardona now than um, than this dude, Riker. That was but, a great uh, angle on the weekend. That was awesome. Really well done. I'm actually excited for a Matt Cardona match, but uh, this was—I uh, think—I think he looks better. Like his hair was terrible before, and yeah, maybe this is not that much better, but like it's an improvement to me. Yes. Yeah, so the Ghost of War through the guitar, and we got our match: Elias and Jackson Riker. Graves asks the question we've all been asking: How long has this fury been burning inside of Jackson Riker? I don't know. Riker grabs him by the beard, lifts and slams Elias, and this is too much for Elias. He hauls off and gets counted out in three minutes and two seconds. He went absent without leave. And then we got Jackson Riker's new theme playing in the background. This has to be the most generic piece of music that has ever been played. I mean, I think it would be appropriate because you're talking about in Jackson Riker, one of the most generic looking wrestlers that you could imagine in your head. Like he'd be like somebody who you go into creative player and you spend way too much time in the tattoo section. You come out with the Jackson Riker. So, well, the highlight of this was as his music is playing, he screamed and this giant wad of spit comes out and just goes all over his beard. It just looked disgusting. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's the military tie in that, like they, they think is marketable for this guy as uh as a babyface character. I maybe it is, you know, like the crowds are the the final say, you know, in, in whether or not something works. But God, like everything else about him beyond that is just so boring. Like the fact that Alistair Black is gone and this guy is getting a push is just it just just shows like Either it's a brilliant marketing move for whatever army thing that they have to do, or it's it's a terrible, uh, it's a show of uh, lack of taste and talent. Um, so we shall see once the the crowds return. That's uh, you're being very open minded. Drew McIntyre comes out for the contract signing. Pearson Deville are there, but Lashley doesn't come out. So Drew just keeps chatting and does like the Godfather line about. It's time once again for everybody to come aboard the Lashley train, which I think was like the closest in the PG era that they can refer to the hose as. 
Oh, I thought you meant like like the Francis Ford Coppola Godfather. I'm like, did they say that in The Godfather? <laughs> the there, Go- there was nothing the Francis Don- Ford Coppola would <laughs> attach his name to on this show. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, did Don Corleone ever say it's time to c- come aboard? <laughs> The Lashley train. You're right. Yeah, there was a wrestler named The Godfather. Yeah. So then Drew told the story of Robert the Bruce when he was the king of Scotland. He was a hunted man, and he was hiding inside of a cave when he saw a spider in the cave that tried over and over to cling on to a web. And it kept falling down, but it kept trying. It kept trying. And then it finally latched onto the web. And... Robert the Bruce went on to leave that cave, assemble an army, and win Scotland's freedom despite being outnumbered. And he said, I'm going to modernize this phrase. If at first you don't succeed, kick Lashley's ass at Hell in a Cell. Now, before you mock this, okay? I'm not, this was I'm an not ex- about to mock it. This was no, an it's... extremely, like... <laughs> This is a hell of a story this guy had to convey in this promo. I, I think Drew, his delivery is very good. I think there are pretty much, this would have been very, very challenging for most. I don't think anybody else would have thought about even attempting it. Because um, I, I felt like somebody needed to remind him that this was a contract signing and not fucking history class. Like, I just... I'm sure, like, to some people, this, like, made... This was great, maybe. Some people actually really loved this. But I was just like, what are you talking about, man? Like, just, you're here to, like, you know, talk He's about... the spider that won't give up? Yeah, I, he basically said it all to, to be able to say, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And I just thought it was such a, a convoluted way of getting there that it just lost me. You don't think Nate Diaz is going to channel this story this week when he's getting ready to fight Leon Edwards? Um, I don't know. Yeah, I would love to see him try. Or try again. Yes. MVP and Lashley appear on the screen. They apologize for being fashionably late. They come out. Lashley says this will be Drew's last chance at the championship as long as I'm champion. Drew accepts this condition with one of his own, that this has made a hell in a cell match which they accept and they update the contract complete with initials and MVP wants the contract notarized. And Drew says, I still feel the effects of the last hell in a cell match I was in. You've never been in one and I'm going to inflict the worst punishment that you've ever felt and tells Lashley to start praying. Your prayers won't be answered, but you will beg, beg me for mercy. And I will grant you that with one more Claymore. See you in hell. I thought this was a very good promo from Drew. Yeah, I, if you're grading whether or not somebody was able to convey the words on a page well, if that's the criteria, then I agree with you. Um, but watching the segment and hearing you even recap it, it just feels so wooden. Like, like, like in no way would I take this to be any sort of like organic, you know, um, conversation before uh, a match. It just felt like amateur theater. And maybe in Drew's case, a little above amateur. Well, it's... I mean... It was a WWE promo, essentially. With a good delivery. I think that's that's the best you can hope for in these situations. Which takes us backstage to Sarah Schreiber with Nikki Cross. 
who says, I might not be the prettiest or the most experienced. Huh? Yeah, she's so she's that, trying to convey her being an underdog because she's not as pretty or as tall. Is that what she said? Is that, I thought she said experience. She might have said that too. So She said a bunch of things, yeah. So, it's I her- mean, you, you have an idea of, like, what type of character they see in her. She's, like, the person who... She's Rudy, you know? Um, and that's why they booked her like shit, but had her celebrate like she, she just won a, the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Like, they book her... Th- this is a character who is celebrating and going on this victory. Like, she's holding a parade, basically, for running away for two minutes and surviving, like, two matches like that. And we're supposed to like think of her as this like great baby face in you know inspiration. Her tenacity and spirit are what will make her a winner. Her only regret is not taking chances. And tonight she has found a partner, and that will be Asuka to take on Ripley and Charlotte later. Seamus is ringside. He's got a face shield on. We've got dashing Seamus, as they explain. He broke his nose last week in the match with Umberto Carrillo. And he cuts a promo before the match about why these two get a shot at my title after breaking me bleeding face. Carrillo is in the ring and then he leaps on the apron to scare Seamus. Ricochet then flips off the ropes and Seamus is freaking out here. I will say, I I think Seamus is great. I think he's hilarious in this role. He is great. I thought he was like the best. But this was actually a very good segment from the match and all of Seamus on commentary. He was very entertaining. Uh, on commentary here. So we have the singles match. Seamus is <laughs> lamenting the fact that even though I'm hideously disfigured right now, <laughs> and then refers to Ricochet and Carrillo as juvenile delinquents. Carrillo hits a tope suicida and a missile what, what drop. Is, what is the age difference between Seamus and, and Ricochet? I need to know. Um, that would How make old is Seamus? Oh, God, Seamus is over Seamus 40. is 43. He's 43. Okay. Ricochet's what? 30, 33? 32. Okay. That's 11 years. I guess, okay, I guess that he would have a case. I guess you would call somebody in a mocking way a juvenile delinquent. 11 years. So the big spot of the match is they get onto the edge and all of a sudden Ricochet runs at Carrillo who catches him with a one-man Spanish fly off the apron to the floor, uh, which looked great. And the two get counted out at 518, and Seamus just laughs and laughs and says, look at the state of these bloody Muppets, and walks off. I thought this was very good, this this whole segment. Yeah, it worked. Did what they needed to do. Um, You would assume build to a three-way. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get on this show. New Day's in the back, and MVP wants to have a word with Kofi Kingston. He was impressed with his match last week, and he was a fan of Kofi before, even cried when he won the title at WrestleMania. They go way back to Deep South together, and seeing Kofi in the ring with his children is what sparked MVP to want to return to WWE and asks him why did Kofi Mania end and said, I saw a glimpse into why last week, because you're comfortable being a loser by shaking Drew's hand. You let Kofi Mania end. And Kofi strikes back. He says, I don't want your advice. There's children around the world that watch me and believe in me. What does Lashley fight for? The money? And MVP says, no. Lashley fights for the championship and everything that comes with it. 
with that MVP walks off. So we are kind of taking the exact same story we had with MVP trying to recruit Ricochet months ago. And now we are upgrading it to Kofi. Um, I guess so. I mean, that's sort of the guy's gimmick is trying to recruit people, right? I guess so. I really like this. I thought this was my favorite thing on the show. Um, hard to believe, you know, especially with the main event angle that we got tonight. But this was like MVP taking a very real moment that we are all aware of. We all remember seeing him and Shad Gaspard crying as they're watching the Kofi Mania um, match. And he took that and he used it as a promo to antagonize Kofi Kingston. And for the first time in months, honestly, it feels like a year plus now, we got some fire from Kofi Kingston. He got pissed. You know, he actually got offended and came back at MVP with the the amount of like intensity that I think everybody's been waiting for since that Brock Lesnar loss. So... I don't know if this will last or if this was just like a one-off segment because they put so much great effort into like just doing this one little thing. MVP, that is. Um, but like, I, I I really would love to for them to continue this energy for like an actual feud, you know, for Kofi's sake, because it's been a long time since we've had this type of Kofi Kingston. There's an Eva Marie spot and she'll be showing up next Monday on Raw. To show yeah, the WWE so. a side of her no one has ever seen and show them how to make hard work look effortless. So we'll get our answer next week. You know, which MP3 will they hit? Ooh, yeah. Hopefully they don't hit the wrong button. Mansoor is approached by Mustafa Ali and Ali tells him you're not ready. Drew Gulak is not going to fight fair. He'll cut every corner and Mansoor is not going to know how to handle that. And... He doesn't know how this world works. And Mansoor is left there to contemplate this. And then we had Jeff Hardy versus Cedric Alexander. Starting off with this inset promo from Jeff Hardy. Locker room veterans used to be showing respect. Now they're inflated with polluted egos like Cedric Alexander's. I thought, at first, I thought he had mispronounced his last name. But then I was realizing he was assigning Cedric Alexander's ego. So he didn't, he didn't screw up the name. He's going to show him a lesson in humility and how to fear the reckless abandon I manifest in the ring. Then he'll extremely learn that respect is earned. I don't even know what the syntax would look like in that sentence that I just read. It made me just how to fear the reckless abandon I manifest in the ring. Then he'll extremely learn that respect is earned. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Can you plug that into Grammarly? Oh my God, dude, my Microsoft word would crash. If I put this oh. in Cedric has his own promo out with the old, in with the new. Mondays need a breath of fresh air. Last week was just a taste. Yes, that 30 seconds away was just a taste. When all is said and done, at least I will be able to share a toast to the end of Jeff Hardy's career. Was this a, a, a sobriety joke? Of course it was. Fuck. Yeah. 
They just got to squeeze these in at like every opportunity. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Well, first of all, it means the shelving thing is over. Like, what a what a way to blow off that best of 10, <laughs> our thirty second blow off, series. where he won with the poke in the eye. <laughs> so he has officially moved on, and he's just like, you know, they're really going for like the below hanging fruit here. Like, it's not even like it's build, building up a storyline. Um, it's just like Jeff Hardy, and what's an attribute that we uh, establish about Jeff Hardy? Well, he's a recovering alcoholic, so we have to throw it in this promo to get heat. That's not even like part, like, I don't know. I just think they, like, I go back to that Jeff Jarrett thing on the kickoff show last year. Oh, it's like, terrible, they just look at this terrible. stuff and it's like, it's just such a, a little target that they've just got to hit. Like, they're not doing any kind of story. This is just like a line put in there for like the hell of it. Like, mm-hmm. we're just coming off to Jeff Hart, the last program about his sobriety last year. We're going to go to fun. another one. Make fun of the guy's use of big words that he may or may not understand. You know, make fun of his f- funny hair or his, I don't know, uh, uh, t- voiceover promos in TNA. There's so many other ways to get heat than something that's such a turnoff as, as this and cheap. So the match begins. Alexander's making fun of Hardy. He wipes his boot on his face and then pulls at the hair. There's a head scissors by Jeff out of the corner that Jimmy Smith called a Hurricane Rana. There's a brain buster by Cedric, and then he gets onto the ropes, and he does the hardy pose, but gets caught coming off the turnbuckle, twist of fate, swanton, and Jeff Hardy wins in seven minutes. So, you know, Cedric comes out of that feud with Shelton and then loses this match. I could only assume this begins another best of 12. Um, they it On Raw like- or on main event? Hmm... I don't know. Depends. They could drop it next week. You know, who knows? But it's just like we had felt like we had two promos here and then really no conclusion, like storyline wise at the end of it all. So I I definitely assume they'll just continue this. Yeah, if anything, this this program, I think, will really just confirm for people like what their what their view is of of Jeff Hardy. If he's just in the role of like where a gold dust was. What does it tell you when, like, we got a finish here? Did he win clean? Yeah, swanton. he won with the swanton. Yeah, what does it tell you when, uh, like, I, me, a, raw, a conditioned Raw viewer, can see a match with a clean finish and be able to confidently say, they'll just have another match next week? 100%. 100%. This will set up multiple Cedric wins. It doesn't and matter. And they'll probably have a dozen matches to come. None of it matters. Rhea Ripley is warming up. Charlotte appears and says for Rhea to follow her lead and Flair will take care of Asuka. Ripley says, I'll be glad to follow you, Charlotte, in two weeks straight to hell. It's the fact that she says it with emphasis, like she's so proud of this badass line that she just said. You know, I'll show She's her. like picturing the meme. Oh, I said hell. She said it. She, Dude, there is no like, one that has struggled with WWE promos worse than Rhea Ripley. Like, this terrible. this woman was yeah. so... She had such a cool factor to her in NXT that she has been hit with a fire extinguisher week after week on this show. She could not come across more campy than this character that has been just... Thrown all over the place. It, 
it it's all the more sad to see because she walks onto that stage every single week with that championship. In most cases, having a championship is a great thing for your career because it gives you spotlight. In this case, it's terrible because it gives you spotlight. And it highlights just how far she is from, um, you know, the, uh, I would say, established uh, wrestlers in this division. And I don't, I don't know how much I would fault her because we've seen her as a very successful wrestler in NXT. It's, it's, you know, everybody probably like making that transition has to get accustomed to however they produce television here. And, you know, maybe you chalk it up to the bad writing, but she's going to have to figure out how to make that bad writing work. Cause it's right bad now, writing. And it's, it's unfortunately bad delivery now too. Like it's, very it's bad. very hard to overcome this stuff, but it's like, that's not helping matters. And I, I look at a Raquel Gonzalez and it's like, man, it's, you well, can how, prime. How would she fare? Want. How would, how would Raquel fare on the main roster? With dialogue like this. Like, God. Well, booking like this. We'll get into this match. So it's Ripley and Charlotte against Nikki Cross and Asuka. And the big question Byron asks, how will they coexist? How? Ripley is sent to the floor. Flair gets in her face. And Ripley shoves her. Leave me alone. So Charlotte yanks Ripley to the floor and then tells her, get in the ring. And that sets up our commercial. I was very close to just not coming back to this show. Flair seats cross, does this backflip and then kicks her and goes into this violent chin lock and then chops Ripley as her tag. So they're just, these two can't get along. Dare I say they cannot coexist with one another. Ripley tags herself in. Asuka hits a hip attack to Flair, a code breaker. There's a Northern Lights. Flair then makes the save and starts arguing with Ripley. They start fighting. Ripley goes for the riptide on her partner, but Flair rakes Ripley's eyes and then clips her knee, hits the natural selection, allowing Nikki Cross to pin Rhea Ripley in 1325. Nikki Cross is nowhere near this match at Hell in a Cell. You could not possibly make me care about this match in two weeks. I hated this match. I hated this match with such a passion. I hate this feud. If you were to take these two and tell me, how can we reduce these two to absolute nothing on this show? I couldn't come up with the last few weeks, tonight's setup, and this match. I could not come up with worse ideas than this. It's brutal. Absolutely brutal. There's no feud I hate more than this one. It's pretty bad. Um, it's just amazing because, like, I guess in, in, in this whole thing, it made, they must have multiple aims of trying to elevate Nikki Cross while at the same time <laughs> promoting her world heavyweight championship match between these two. And those two things just don't necessarily... They can go together, but I don't think they go together by having the person not having the title match constantly make your champion and challenger look like idiots. So um, that's the match that they're promoting. It's the funniest when you see the graphic pop up at the end of this. You know, it's not Nikki Cross. It's the two losers who two just Two losers can't, you can't stand. They're going to have the big match of the pay-per-view. Who, who aren't even smart enough to like outsmart Nikki Cross uh, in a two-minute beat-the-clock challenge or in a situation like this. They They just... 
they're just both incredibly unlikable. Feud's awful. Ugh. Alexa's getting ready for the playground segment. Mansoor versus Drew Gulak. <laughs> the announcer said, we've seen glimpses of Raw's newest superstar. I would say that's pretty accurate. We have seen glimpses of Mansoor on this show. Gulak is now the technical terminator. Ali is watching in the back. We'll just uh, fast forward here. Mansoor gets hooked with a schoolboy as Gulak grabs the tights, but Mansoor counters and is able to cradle Gulak in 222. So he heeded the warning from Ali and outsmarted Drew Gulak. So he is well on his way to success in this company by beating the technical Terminator. He's listening to Ali, yeah. I actually enjoyed this. I thought this was one of the bright spots of this episode of Raw. And if we're, you know, we have that have that conversation about Rhea Ripley, and we we're able to at least separate perhaps the material from the performer. And in Ripley's case, it's a failure on both fronts. For Mansoor, this is not the strongest material. It's not the strongest character. He's kind of your, you know, stereotypical like rookie here, trying to just like you know smile and try to get the big wins. But I think he does it really well from what from the glimpses that we've seen. You know, like he he shows that he has a confidence and knows exactly what role he is here to play. He gives some very excellent facial expressions, good selling while he's in the submission holds. I think you know his strength will be in his ability to adapt whatever material he's given to to the best of his ability. So it's not a great role, but I think it's a start, and I, I definitely want to see more of him. Riddle is handed the key, so he's allowed to speak, and uh, he just mentioned Burger King here to Randy Orton, wants to be road buddies with him, and asks Randy what is his favorite place to eat at. He is He hands back the key, and the key is thrown in the trash can. So yeah. Riddle is muted. That's a key thing. Yeah, that's cute. Riddle and Kofi Kingston. Uh, Orton did not come out at the beginning. However, once Xavier Woods started playing the trombone, Orton had enough of this bullshit. And he came out and went after Woods, but got hit with a baseball slide from Kofi. And then recovered and dumped Woods onto the desk as Kofi launched off the top of the trust fall onto Riddle and Orton. We come back from the break. Kingston scales to the top and he's going for a Hurricane Rana, but this just got all messed up as Riddle just went down seated, but they recovered from this. Riddle uh, is aggressive on the floor. He fist bumps Jimmy Smith. And then as Riddle hits a draping DDT, Orton is saying, finish him. And Riddle sets up for the RKO. He's pounding the canvas, but the RKO gets blocked. He ducks a trouble in paradise. Kingston counters, hits it on the second try, and pins Riddle in 12-23. Riddle blew it. So when he said finish him, he meant cover him, not go for the RKO? That's what we're led to believe? I guess he was not clear enough with his instructions. Well, when you say finish him, like I'm thinking, oh, I hit my fatality. You know, I hit my big move. Back, so, back A, come on. Yeah, so he... Maybe it's a miscommunication here, but seems to be at least a teasing of some sort of a tension between Orton and Riddle. Shayna Baszler meets with Nia Jax. They argue about Reginald. He's at home recovering after Baszler's attack last week. And Nia calls Baszler out of line. And Jax offers to help her tonight because she knows Alexa. And Baszler doesn't care. I'm not intimidated by a stupid doll and I don't need your help. And she walks off. Before we get into this gong show, I'm going to say, in terms of playing like the the bully 
in the movie I would have rented when I was 12 years old. Shayna Baszler plays this bully role, like, perfect. No, I can't. I can't, I can't, I can't give... She's a cartoon any, character. That's what she's give, being asked I can't to give a hint of positivity to, to this in any way. She, well, like, this is, this is, like, if, if, if Drew and Lashley was amateur theater, this is, like, something I wouldn't even bring to, like, a kid's six-year-old's party. Like... It's so bad. It is so the acting is bad. The 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 dialogue is bad. The editing is bad. The shooting shooting is bad. Everything is just like there's no indication that any of this should be even on tape, much less TV. Well, we have Alexa's playground, which for those paying attention to our rundown, this was the main event of the show. Baszler comes out to sit with Alexa and Lily. And she knocks over the rocking horse. And Shayna is asked to apologize to Lily. Shayna says that Alexa is more delusional than she looks. And blames Alexa for Reginald's injuries. And the reason her and Naya are no longer tag champions. Lily speaks to Alexa. And Alexa informs Shayna it's in her best interest to apologize. So Baszler grabs the doll. And apologizes that it's only a stupid doll. Alexa goes to attack and Baszler steps on Lily and then stomps onto Lily as Alexa watches. Yeah, we got a floor, like a ground shot, point of view shot from Alexa as she's uh, getting stomped on. So they they they, uh, they went through a, a lot of work for this. Yeah, this was like the, um, the reenactment of uh, Ronnie Garvin. The Thunderdome starts to short-circuit. Fire erupts from the stage as Baszler runs to the back. And that's where the fun begins. We go into the back. This is just awful. It's all dark. Equipment starts to fall. The doors are locked. She goes into a room, puts the chain on the lock, and then uses furniture to keep the spirits out, and then looks into the mirror. And there's the reflection of Lily. And Raw ends by cutting to black. And the last noise we hear is Shayna-screaming.mp3. With some reverb on it. Absolute yeah, garbage. But at the same time, there was a time that we would watch a segment like this. And everyone would be just in an uproar. I'd be like, my God, WWE just did the stupidest thing ever. This happens in such frequency now that I don't even have that in me. It's at a point where this is no longer the outlier. This is the continual pattern of what has been introduced into the show. This is just another angle now. It's just, it's a bad show. It's a bad show. We have an awful baseline of which we judge this show every week. And this is par for the course for me. I don't even flinch at this stuff anymore. They've successfully made this show completely stupid that this stuff just is interwoven. And then you have other people that are, they're just going to praise anything for the sake of praising anything that they have absolutely no standards of what this show can achieve. So this is what it is. This is just part of, we're going to have tons of this shit this year, just like we had tons of this shit last year. Yeah, sometimes like, you know, I'm in a mood where I just like let go so much that I'm just like able to sit back and laugh and actually have fun watching this 
really campy TV show uh, every single week. You know, for segments like this, um, like the zombie shit, I was just like, wow, this is so ridiculous. Like, I'm just releasing. I'm just going to let go and just laugh at the idea that somebody is paying millions of dollars for this. Um, and that, you know, that was again the case tonight. Somebody, people are paying millions and millions of dollars for this. Like, fuck, I thought Bret Hart's Iguana video was probably better than this, but, you know, not that far off. But man, it was just like, I just didn't have the patience tonight. You know, not after the rest of the really shitty wrestling show. Um, it was just... Man, I just think it's like taking Shayna Baszler on top of it all. Like if it was Reginald in this role, or even if it was like Lana like in this role, I wouldn't be so upset. But you have in Shayna Baszler the most legitimate person on that roster. And her role on this wrestling program is not to wrestle. It's to act like a seven-year-old bully who doesn't believe in the Easter bunny. Um, and on top of that, she has to sell, like she has to do the warrior Hogan thing in the mirror that just, I think this would be amusing. Like if you're a child and you took a camcorder and you did this on a weekend and you showed your parents, and your parents would be like, wow, that's amazing. You guys did a great job. It's not as cute when it's adults doing it. Um, on two hundred sixty-five million a year. Yeah, I mean, it's probably they're probably laughing about it, you know. But it's not that cute for the people watching. But you know, somebody might have legitimately liked this. I'm just one. We're just two opinions, you and I. There's, you know, I know that there's the sentiment that you know someone was going to get pegged to have to do this program, and they look at Shayna Baszler, and it's how can you pick Shayna Baszler for this? The version of Shayna Baszler that people will pine for, that's never going to happen on this roster. It's never going to happen on Raw. It'll happen when it's too late and we won't care anymore, you know, because she'll, she'll have been through all this. It's like when they tried to make Kurt Angle serious, like having gone through all this other stuff. Raw. Bad show. It's bad every week. Yeah, consistently. Yeah. Yeah, well, of course. You know, the sky's blue. Should we go to some feedback? Yeah. I have nothing I have nothing more to say on Raw. It's just no, it's uh I, I've squeezed out my my energy for this program. Forum.postwrestling.com. All patrons have access to post and leave your feedback for our shows. What did you guys give tonight's edition of Raw? A two point eight eight. Seems fair. Yeah. 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 Um, do you want to start, John? Kate writes in, Shingo Takagi became IWGP champion and the Montreal Canadiens advanced after a 4 nothing sweep. Sami Zayn was at the game tonight in Montreal. Oh, cool. And they swept them. So he can take credit now for Logan Paul and the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Good for him. Nothing was going to ruin this day for me. Not even Raw. Although for some reason, it felt like they were trying. Somehow the Alexa Shayna segment was even worse than I thought it was going to be. And believe me, I thought it was going to be terrible. 
Although everything makes more sense since I figured out that Lily is most likely booking the show. On a more positive note, I feel like Xavier Woods and Kofi Kingston have been giving us some great matches lately. That's not to take anything away from their opponents, and the two of them aren't the focus of any storyline yet, but it still bears mentioning. Are they pulling the plug on RK Bro already? Feels way too early, but these people seem to change their mind very quickly. I don't think so. I think they're going to stick around for a while. The fact that they're putting out merchandise now for them, I think they'll, they're definitely going to want to have that run of merch when they go back to the live events. And it's a good act together. I think it's, a, you know, for Orton, you could argue, is it his best role? I would say for now, it probably is. Coming off that Fiend program, you've completely forgotten about it. There is no stain of that program for Randy Orton like a Seth Rollins had to deal with or countless others. So... I think it's a good role for Orton. It's been the most, I think, this character has worked of the Riddle character, having someone to play off of as the straight man. And God knows his tag division needs it. So I think you can do the New Day match with Riddle and Orton at the pay-per-view. You can extend this, I think, for, for a while. And I think you should. It'll, it'll be more impactful if these two end up becoming like the odd couple that actually display, like they get that, out of Randy Orton that he actually likes this guy so that when you do the turn, it's so much more impactful because you actually care about this team rather than just doing it so quickly. We go to Carl who says, do you think in July when the fans return to arenas that the creative team will at least try to put a compelling show together? I mean, that's been the most frustrating thing when watching this show. It's not the performers. It's the complete lack of uninspiring content. There's been one great Raw in the last 12 months, in my opinion, and that was the main event when Drew beat Orton for the title that was last November. Yeah, it'll be completely different. We're going to go back to the Emmy Award winning Raw Monday. You're not going to get like the pre-taped stuff that you saw tonight, but you're still going to get fireworks exploding in the middle of a match, you know, because of a demon... Um, you'll get something that like the whole the whole Alexa thing this this like in the Orton match was in front of a crowd when she started bleeding out of the jack in the box and they ended the match like that so you'll still get shit like that. What I do really hope for are crowds to speak up and let their voices be heard when something is awful. That is something I'm really looking forward to. You know the fact that we can have an audience who actually has a mind. That can actually tell them what was what is working and what isn't to be able to speak for us that we're we're so desperately wanting you know a voice to to tell them this is like that's one of that's the magic of pro wrestling isn't it the fact that you could you get direct feedback from an audience we haven't had that in a long time and I hope this audience whoever shows up to raw reacts the way I I do if and I how there. that's met as well after having this last year plus where that has not been a problem and suddenly you you have that factor that's introduced into your live shows again like how how the company responds to that yeah definitely all right well i'm never going to think about this show ever again in my life so we're moving on we are going to be back later on this week so uh, no Dynamite on Wednesday because we do have SmackDown and Dynamite on Friday night. Way and I, uh, we are going to be back actually on Wednesday. We're going to do a post-news update uh, this coming Wednesday where we will be joined by Nate Milton. Kind of a tee-up for the Nubian Wrestling Advocate. So you can look out for that dropping on Wednesday. And I actually think we're going to release Ask Away on Tuesday. Okay. Tuesday yeah. we're, we'll be back then. We uh, We had discussed it, I guess. So... Brand Tuesday. Look out for it. 
Tuesday evening. So you'll get that first and then uh, all the content throughout, spread out throughout the rest of the week. All right. If you want to drop any more questions, forum.postwrestling.com. And that is it for us. Good night.